Um, hey, good morning, everybody. My name's Jeff, uh, pastor of student ministry here, and I, I just want to echo what Adam said. It's a privilege for us as student ministry to be a part of the service this morning. It's a privilege for me to be here opening the Word of God with you all. Um, and I, I hope you know whether the Word of God, which is opened in here on Sunday mornings, is open down the hall on Sunday mornings, is open downstairs on Sunday mornings. Um, I want you to know that on staff, it's never taken lightly, the opportunity to open up God's Word to teach it and preach it. Um, You know, we come with a belief that when we gather and when we open God's word specifically, that his spirit is at work in our lives and in our midst. And we pray, and so we preach expectantly. We preach expecting that the Lord is gonna do something. And we pray for people to listen expectantly, believing that in this season, in this moment, God is going to do something. And so uh, again, excited to be here, a privilege to be here. Um, this morning, we're going we're gonna to continue in our series in Romans, and we're going con- to read a story about some people who I would say, to sum it up, they missed the point. They missed the point of something. And I don't know if anybody in here can relate to missing the point in anything. Maybe you felt like you were nailing it in something, and only to find out afterwards you definitely were not nailing it. Can anybody relate to that sort of experience? Yes, a couple of us, good. It reminded me, the first class I ever took in seminary Derek was with me. Tim Mackey, who does the Bible Project, was teaching the class. It was an amazing class, first five books of the Bible. And at the end, you had to write a term paper. And I was like fired up. Like I I was a business student at the University of Oregon. So to be taking seminary classes, I was so excited. It was like the first assignment I think I'd ever been excited to do in my life. I couldn't wait to write this paper. So I read the prompt. I read everything. And I write this paper. And I'm like, man, I nailed it. This paper is amazing. Like these people are going to be so impressed by this paper. So I wait a couple weeks and I get the note, hey, uh, the person reading the paper has submitted feedback. And I'm like, yes, awesome. Can't wait for this feedback. And basically to sum up what was written on the first page was, did you read the prompt for this assignment? (laughs) Which at that moment I was like, I mean, I'm pretty sure I read the prompt. (laughs) Like I've never written a paper without reading the prompt before. I'm like, what's he talking about? So I go and I read the prompt and guess what? I must have read a different prompt. I don't know. Whatever the prompt I was supposed to write a paper about, this was not it, okay? And it was just this moment of like, man, I blew it. (laughs) I I thought the purpose of writing this paper was one thing, and I found out afterwards that it was not. Now, the flip side to all of this is I love seminary because I somehow still got an A- minus on this paper, which makes no sense to me. It was nothing to do, but that's the beauty of having Christians grading your papers, I guess. (laughs) So... The truth is, this, this all was a low-stakes example of missing the point, right? It's a low-stakes. It was a paper, and I still somehow did well in the class. But I think in life, we're going to read a passage about some people missing the point in life. And obviously, there are bigger stakes situations up there when it comes to missing the point tonight. Or excuse me, I'm so used to preaching at night. I got to get used to saying this morning. It's 5 o'clock is my deal. Okay, we're going to get used to it. This morning, we're talking about life. Paul's going to be writing to some Jewish believers, but I think there's going to be some contextualization that we can take for ourselves and for our lives. So if you've got a Bible, let's open up to Romans chapter 2, verse 17. That's where we're going to be this morning. As you turn there, I'll I'll catch people up if you're new or or have missed the last couple of weeks. Um, A few weeks ago, Pastor Adam was teaching, and, and so I would say the thesis statement of Romans is chapter one, verses 16 through 17, when Paul says, the gospel is the power for salvation for all who believe, for all who believe. Now for you and for me sitting in a church in 2022, we nod along with that. We're like, of course the gospel is the power for all who believe. 
right? To the Gentiles that would have been hearing this for the first time, they were nodding along. They're like, this is amazing. It's the power for all who believe. But for the Jewish people that would have been hearing a sentence like that, it would have taken them a moment. They would have had to process some things, right? They would have had to think deeply about some things. They had spent centuries identifying themselves as the chosen people. And now Paul is saying, essentially, actually, everybody's sort of the chosen people. And they're having to process through that. And they're like, but wait, Paul, we were the chosen people. We were given the law. We are the people that have obeyed the law. And Paul, I think, would say, yes, you're right about all of those things. But do you know why God gave you the law? Because I think what he's saying is you sort of missed the point. So let's read chapter 2, starting in verse 17. He says, but if you call yourself a Jew and rely on the law and boast in God and know his will and approve what is excellent because you are instructed from the law, and if you are sure that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of children, having in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth. I'm imagining at this point they're feeling real great about themselves, right? Not for long. Verse 21, you then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? While you preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that one must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law, dishonor God by breaking the law. For as it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. Pause there. Verse 24, this line that he quotes, this is like in the top five of most offensive things Paul could say to the Jewish people that were listening to this letter, okay? To blaspheme the name of God because of them was insulting. And Paul just comes out in this passage swinging. And I want you to try imagining the scene. This helps me when I read a letter like Romans, okay? So Paul would have written this letter from somewhere else, and he found a trusted friend in a woman named Phoebe, And he sends Phoebe with this letter. Now, most people believe what this means is that Phoebe would have taken the letter. She would have gone to the Roman church. She would have stood up in front of whoever was there, and she would have read this. Afterwards, it's possible she would have answered questions, responded to concerns about it. So just imagine this moment as Phoebe is standing there, right? It's a big deal when Paul's letter shows up in town. I was trying to think, like, how do we contextualize what it would be like for a letter to show up in a church? We have information everywhere they did not, right? The best I could think of, maybe it's because my wife had me watching these recently, is Harry Potter, all right? Harry Potter. I don't know if I could say that in church, but we're going to say it in church, okay? So apologies. Harry Potter. When I was younger, Harry Potter was still coming out. They had not all been written yet. When the new Harry Potter came out and Amazon wasn't a big deal, you had to go to Barnes & Noble to get the newest one. And it was crazy. It was mayhem, right, when Harry Potter came out. Now imagine... If instead of Barnes & Noble getting thousands of copies in different stores across Barnes & Nobles, imagine if Portland got one copy of the Harry Potter book. That's it. One showed up. And they were like, if you want to hear this, you've got to show up at this time and at this place, and we're going to read it. I bet a lot of people would have showed up, right? I bet there would have been excitement. There would have been anticipation for what was going to be said. So I think Phoebe showing up with Paul's letter is kind of like that. So she starts reading, you know, getting, reading, reading, everyone's into it. And then she says, verse 24, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. 
what do you think that moment would have been like? <laughs> right? Like, does she pause dramatically in that moment? Does she make eye contact with some people maybe she doesn't like a whole lot in that moment? The reason that this would have been so offensive was because to a Jewish person, they knew this was the exact same thing that the Old Testament accused their ancestors of over and over and over again. And in one instant, any belief that they had that they were doing better than them vanished, right? Paul's saying, you're no different, right? If you read in the Old Testament in Ezekiel, when Ezekiel describes why the Israelites were sent to exile, why the the, uh, presence of God departed from the temple, he says it's because you you have blasphemed the name of God. You have defiled the name of God among the nations. This is what's happening. Paul says, my friends, we're no different. And they surely, based on this passage, would have responded, but we have the law, Paul. We have obeyed the law. We are righteous people. We are teaching people the law. And Paul says, sure, but what if that wasn't the point? What if that wasn't the goal? What if that wasn't the end game of all of this? What if that wasn't your purpose as the chosen people of God? He says, it's one thing to have the law, but if you miss out on its purpose, then so what? If you miss out on its purpose, so what? I think what Paul is getting at in this passage, which we'll unpack this morning, is he's talking about the purpose of the law, yes, but he's talking about the purpose of election. He's talking about the purpose of life. He's talking about all of it. And my hope is that when we grasp what he is saying, I think we will leave this morning two ways. One, we will be encouraged because we will all have clarity on why we are here. But I'm guessing we might also be challenged by the fact that some of us are one or two or more degrees off of what we're called to be. So here's my plan. I want to talk about the law and purpose sort of in context throughout scripture, and then we'll turn the camera on ourselves and talk application. Sound good? Awesome. Thank you. So let's ask and answer this question. Why are you and I here? Why are we here literally in this room, but why are we on this planet alive, right? I want you to take, before I answer that, I want you to take like 10 seconds and think to yourself, how would you answer that question? Why am I here? Take 10 seconds and think. Okay, the good news for simple-minded people like myself is that God tells us the answer to this question. In fact, he repeats it over and over and over again so that we don't miss it. The bad news for me is that I miss it a lot and I end up in the same place that Paul's audience did, okay? So let's, let's do it. Let's not make that mistake and let's, we're gonna go all the way back to page one. We're gonna do a little survey of scripture to talk about this, okay? Page one, the first thing we learn is that our God is amazing and he actually didn't need you and me. He didn't need us. Like he was good without us, okay? Which makes us, okay, but I exist. So why do I exist? I think the biggest clue we get is in Genesis chapter one, verse 27. It's a verse many of you are familiar with. I think it's gonna be on the screen. But it says, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. It's a famous passage, right? But what in the world does it mean? I've thought a lot about this verse in particular, maybe more than any other verse in the last six months. And what I would sum up my thoughts as saying are, to be an image bearer is both a blessing and a calling. Okay, let me say that again. To be an image bearer is both a blessing and a calling. And this is intertwined throughout all of scripture. Now, you and I, we are gold medalists in the blessing part of this, all right? 
We are very good at remembering how blessed we are, thinking about how blessed we are, and talking about how hashtag blessed we are, all right? We're great at that. But I don't think we're on the podium for remembering why we are called. We're good at blessing, we're bad at calling, I think. And these two, as we'll see, are inseparable in Scripture. So the blessing here is that you and I are special. God did not make the trees in his image. He did not make the oceans in his image. He did not make the stars in his image. He made you and me in his image. We are special. The calling piece is tied to that, though, because it comes from understanding this word image. Image in the Hebrew scriptures is a word selem, which could be translated as idol or statue. Now, what was the purpose of an idol? The purpose of an idol was to represent a deity, to reveal something about that deity to whoever looked at it, to whoever was around it. My calling and your calling is the same. We are here to reflect and represent God to the world around us. To be an image bearer is both a blessing and a calling. So how do we do? How did humanity do in that Regard. Not great, right? Genesis 3 through 11 is a spiral downward. And so God's like, all right, Genesis 12, we need a little bit of a refresh. Okay, let's talk about blessing and calling again. And you'll see this. He gets more and more direct as we go. So Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, he says this. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. Pay attention to verse 2. And I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless you so that you will be a blessing. Abraham is privileged, but he is privileged for a purpose. Right? So the story continues. Genesis ends. The people are in slavery. They're in Egypt. We jump ahead to Exodus. Moses shows up. There's the plagues, the Red Sea, all this stuff, okay? But God sets them free. They've done nothing to earn it, nothing to deserve this, right? Adam and Eve, when they're made in God's image, they have done nothing. When Moses is called, he's an idol worshiper. He has done nothing to receive this blessing. The people of Israel, they are a bunch of whiners, and yet God brings them out of Egypt and brings them to the foot of Mount Sinai. He saves them anyways. That is the blessing. And so because we're tracking, we see, wait, God saved these people. God blessed these people. What's the calling? There must be a calling attached. Exodus 19 four through six. This is at the foot of Mount Sinai. This is before the commandments. God says, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession, blessing among all people, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me calling a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. You shall be to me a kingdom of priests. That is the calling. It's the same thing as Genesis 1 and Genesis 12. Okay, think about priests. Are priests all about service or are they all about status? They're all about service, right? Are they all about personal freedom and autonomy or sacrificial love towards the people they are called to serve? It's an important Role, it's an honorable role, of course, but the honor is meant to be stewarded for the blessing of the people around them. Israel as a whole was called to be a nation of priests. I love what one theologian, Michael Bird, says. He said, Israel was not called to be Israel for Israel's sake, but rather Israel for the sake of the world. 
Israel was not called to be Israel for Israel's sake, but Israel for the sake of the world. Again, are you starting to see the pattern that comes up? And we're just like 30 pages into scripture here. Blessing is not something that is meant to be basked in. Accept it as if it's the destination. It was meant to be fuel along the journey, right? What I love about God, though, is as this continues, don't worry, we're only doing one more example, okay? It's not going to be like an hour and a half here, okay? But what I love about God is like Adam and Eve messes up, and Abraham messes up, and Israel messes up, and as they do, he gets more and more crystal clear. He's like, we're going zero gray area here, okay? There is going to be no having to read between the lines and guess. There is going to be unbelievable detail. It is going to be so obvious what I'm calling you to do that there can be no excuse that it was not obvious, okay? So he's like, I want you to live the life that you were created to live so that the people around you would be blessed. I want you to live lives that draws the Hittites and the Jebusites and all of them into the kingdom of God to see how beautiful God is that he might be worshiped by all the earth. This is Israel's calling. So how does God do that? How does God spell out the life they were called to live? He gives them the law, an unbelievably detailed and long set of laws. He tells them what to wear. He tells them what to eat. He tells them how to cleanse themselves. He tells them just about everything. And it's for one purpose. So that every single nation that looks at them would worship their God. So that every single nation would look to them and say, that God is amazing. I want what they have. He's showing the people how to reflect and represent him well. He's showing the people how to live as blessed people that are then a blessing to the world around him. Not so that they would think they were better than everybody else. Not so that they would get crazy legalistic about their laws. And yet they blow it, right? They miss the point. Paul says the law is meant to be a magnifying glass on our need and, for, and our need and our brokenness, our selfishness. It shows us, it reveals all this to us, right? Ezekiel says, rather than soliciting the blessing of Yahweh, the people are blaspheming me because of you. And Paul's repeating that to the people thousands of years later. Instead of obsessing about uh, representing and uh, reflecting God, blessing others, you have obsessed about the law and you have missed the point. Let me share one analogy that I think highlights sort of the absurdity here, okay? Imagine Pastor Adam came to me, he said, Jeff, high school group, you guys did amazing on Youth Sunday, junior high group. I'm gonna give you like two or 300 bucks and I want you to throw an awesome party celebration for the students, okay? And I'm like, wow, that's amazing. Like we get to do this, but not only that, Adam trusted me to do this. He gave me $300 to do this. That's amazing. I feel honored and privileged to be trusted with this thing, okay? And he says, look, I don't, we're not going to do Costco pizza. We're going to do something better than Costco pizza this time. We're going to step our game up a little bit. Great. I'm in. Okay, so a month goes by. Adam's in the room. The students show up, and there's no pizza. There's no candy. There's no soda. There is literally nothing there. And everybody's like, what's going on? And Adam comes up to me. He says, Jeff, what exactly is happening here? I said, look, look, Adam, I understand you're frustrated, okay? You expected there to be a party. There's not a party. But I was so blessed that you trusted me with this money. I was so blessed. In fact, I was so blessed that I took the $300 you gave me and I framed it. It's on my wall. In fact, I have memorized the serial number on the dollars, on the $100 bills. And I am now teaching a class on how to spot real $100 bills versus fake ones. So I understand that you're disappointed, but let me tell you, I've got this thing figured out. 
I think that's what Paul's telling the Israelites they've done. He says, I gave you the law for a purpose, and all you did was frame it and memorize it and be legalistic about it. And instead of accomplishing what the law was meant to accomplish, which is blessing, we've actually done the opposite. People are dragging my name through the mud, right? Think quickly, too, about what Jesus says about the law. They say, what do we do with the law? He says it's summed up in this, love God and love others. (laughs) He gets real vague. He says it's not about the memorization of these little things. It's about loving God and loving other people. Because guess what? If this church and every church was identified by outsiders as, you know what? Those people, whatever you want to say, they love God and they love other people really well. How do you think our reputation would be in the community? You think other people would want to be a part of what we're doing? That's the point. That's the point. If we nailed loving God and loving others, I think God's name would be praised. Which brings us to today, right? How are we doing as Christians in 2022? Is it possible that we are missing the point of our calling and our blessing, which in our case is salvation through the blood of Jesus? I don't think any of us have to worry about being obsessed with the Torah, okay? I don't think that's like the miss that many of us have. But are there areas of our religiosity, our rhythms and beliefs that we have treated with sort of the same misguided admiration as the Jewish people did? Obviously, that's a question that ultimately lies between me and God and you and God. But let me ask a few rhetorical questions just to get us thinking here as we close out, okay? I want to ask you, for you in your life, which is a greater priority? This is rhetorical, by the way. Let me reiterate that, okay? Which is a greater priority in your life? Is it church attendance or is it serving other people? Church, of course, is a great thing. But it's not the point, right? Which in your life is a greater priority? Is it reading your Bible every single day or investing in meaningful relationships with non-believers? Again, reading your Bible, great thing. But if that knowledge stays up here and never leaves, what's the point? One more. Are you, which is a greater priority for you? Ironing out the finer points of your theology or living a life of sacrificial love for the sake of the gospel? Theology is great, of course. But if it's paired with a life that cannot be characterized as loving, then what's the point? All of these things are good, but none of these things are the point. The way we measure success should be how we represent God to the world around us how we reflect the character of God to every person we interact with and whether or not the people around us would say, that person is a blessing to me. Now we need the church and we need the Bible and we need theology, but those are not the destination. That is like fuel that we put in our car along the journey. So may we not become like the Jewish people that frame the law and become obsessed with the law at at the expense of actually blessing the world around them. May we be a people that use the tools God has given us, the community that God has given us to actually live out the purpose and accomplish the things that God has for us, which is to bless the world. We are blessed. Thank you for that, by the way. We are blessed, right? Unbelievably blessed. And I'm not talking financially. I'm not talking materially. I am saying that the God of the universe created you simply because he loves you. The God of the universe came to earth, left heaven, and died for you because he loves you. We are unbelievably blessed, and we are called to be a blessing. We are called to be a kingdom of priests, to live in such a way, not where my name is glorified, 
not where your name is glorified, but where the name of God is glorified above all else. And again, when I read this, my problems, my issues are not the same as the Jews Paul was writing to. I'm not worried about the law in the same way they were, but we've got our own stuff that we've got to think about. So the beauty, again, the encouragement is your, bless, your calling is very simple. You are called to be a blessing to the world, to represent and reflect your God to every single person you interact with. The, the challenge might be that if we're sitting there, we got to figure out and ask honest questions for ourselves of how am I doing in that? So let me say a prayer. We're going to take a moment in just a second to do that. Let's pray. Worship band, you guys can come on up. Father, thank you. Thank you for answering the biggest questions that we have in life. Thank you for revealing yourself to us, for revealing your love to us. Thank you for the unbelievable blessing that we have been given. Thank you that your word challenges us and encourages us at the same time. Thank you for reminding us this morning that our blessing is woven together with a calling. I pray, Lord, in this moment as we're about to take communion that you would speak to each and every one of us. That your spirit would speak in a way that we can hear that if there's any distraction or anything getting in the way of us hearing what you have to say to us, Lord, may you cast that out. Give us ears to hear what you have to say to us in this moment, God. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your blessing. We thank you for your calling. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.